standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. I would like to invite those who are able. We could kneel together and invite the Lord's presence and blessing. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, I thank thee for thy loving kindness. There are truly none that are as lovely as thou art, as good and gracious, kind, merciful, long-suffering toward us men. How good thou hast been how faithful thou hast been unto us. And I pray, Father, thou wilt help us to be faithful. Help us to be Daniels, to stand for the right, to also know the right. I pray that thou wilt grant us wisdom, grant us grace, that we, Father, may be and fulfill the prayer of Christ to be as lights in this world, as salt to the earth, We want our words to be a salt, to be as a soothing balm. And Father, we also want our our words to be as not only healing, but that they also may reprove when necessary. We want our lives to be a testimony, to bear witness to the truth. We want to bear witness to thy love, to thy goodness. And we want to bear witness to the truth. And I pray, Father, that that will work in each of our hearts and lives. But I ask especially now, as we open thy word, that thou wilt speak to our hearts by thy spirit, that we may receive a word in season, that our souls may be refreshed and our minds drawn out after thee and our hearts as well. I pray that that will be with my lips. Father, I desire to speak those things that are will be to thy honor and glory. I want to speak those words that will uplift my Lord and Savior and glorify thee and the one who came to die for me. I pray, bless this message, bless our ears that we all may hear what thy spirit is saying. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Today's message is not so so much a message. I much prefer, those of you who know me, I much prefer teaching than preaching. And I want to share a topic that I've entitled Weight and Balances. And you may wonder what weight and balances have to do with the gospel. Well, they really have everything to do with the gospel. And in our opening text, I want us to consider a lesson regarding weights and balances. It's found in the 16th, well, actually, we're going to go first to the 11th chapter of Proverbs, and verse 1. Sorry, Proverbs 11, verse 1. There we read, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And in the 16th chapter, verse 11, It reads, a just weight and a balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. 
Now, I realize that some of this language is a bit archaic because this language is not used so much in English today. But anciently, it had tremendous significance. Weights and balances were an everyday occurrence in the life and still in some places in this world are everyday occurrences. But to us in the Western world, not so much. But I want to talk a little bit about weights and balances. And notice in this verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, it says that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. And I want to tie this in to how we understand the word of God. Because this is exactly what Solomon is speaking about when he talks about a false balance and a just weight. It not only deals or touches on our dealings with one another, because weights and balances had to do with transaction in the old world. When you purchased something, you purchased it by weight, and that weight was measured on a balance. And a false balance, or a balance that wasn't balanced correctly, it was an abomination to God, because it gave a false weight. And there are also what we call false weights, weights that said one thing but didn't weigh that what it said. And so false weights, false balances are an abomination to God, but a just weight, it's his delight. And I want to tie this in, in how we understand the word of God. But before I do that, I want to look at an Old Testament story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And we're not going to read all those verses. We're going to look at just an excerpt of those verses that help us understand the moral of what we're going to be looking at today. It deals with the story of young King Solomon. He had just come to the throne. He was very young, unexperienced, didn't know how to be a king, didn't know how he was supposed to behave himself, and feared that he might not do well in ruling God's people because he lacked wisdom and understanding. And so on one night, the Lord God came to Solomon in a dream and said, Ask of me what thou wilt, and I will give it. And Solomon asked for what? Let's read verse 7. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And what does it say about this request? And this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. You see, Solomon could have asked for a long life. He could have asked to be the richest man in the world. He could have asked to be the smartest man in the world. But he didn't. He asked for wisdom to judge rightly. That he might know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. And that pleased God. And this is the moral of the story. If there's one thing we should prize above everything else in this world, Proverbs tells us, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. But with all thy getting, get understanding. And that's what I want to share with us today. Tying in the idea of 
weights and balances into understanding. And in doing that, I want us to turn to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. There's a principle dealing with judgment that I want to bring in, to weigh in in this matter. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. It says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Now, we have all been guilty of this. We're talking with someone and we disagree with them, so we interrupt them, right? We answer a matter before we hear it. We don't hear something out. We don't gather all the facts before we make a judgment call. To him, God says, to he that does such a thing, it is folly and shame. This deals with judgment, how we judge issues, how we judge things, how we judge one another. Now, I'm not talking about judging character or motives. I'm talking about judging actions and words. God wants us to be faithful hearers, careful hearers. Jesus said, take heed how thou hearest. And he also said, take heed what thou hearest. So God wants us to listen carefully, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's the Bible's admonition. And in Hosea 4, 6, tying it in, we all know this verse, right? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and usually people end it there. We're destroyed for lack of knowledge, but we're not destroyed for ignorance, simple ignorance, are we? Why? Because thou hast what? Rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. You see, when we fail to listen carefully and discern, God counts it as rejection. We have rejected knowledge. When we don't listen and give our full attention to what God is saying to us or what is being said. It is rejection of knowledge. We harden our heart. We close our ear, as it were, from hearing. And this rejection, it says, why my people are destroyed. Why is this world in the condition it is? Men have hardened their hearts, closed their ears. When Stephen was speaking, they plugged their ears. When Peter was speaking, they plugged their ears and gnashed their teeth, ground their teeth so that they couldn't hear. They didn't want to hear. God does not want us to be thus. He doesn't want us to behave this way. And especially, He does not want us to come to His Word this way. His Word is to us life eternal. It means everything to us. We should come to it with open eyes, open ears, and open hearts. Just as we were sharing in our testimony, no matter how much it hurts, leave the heart open when it comes to God's word because God intends it for our good. Now with that aside, I want us to look at balances and weights. 
because that's the subject that I want to share with you today. We talk about a balance. Balance, anciently, was where things are weighed. Now, a just balance is one that gives equal weight to all that is weighed, whether it's one side or the other. Same weight, same measurement. It is just. It is fair. It gives equal weight to both sides, not just what agrees with it. It is a just balance, a fair balance. All evidence receives equal weight to one who has a just balance up here. That is, it registers accurately every weight, not biasedly, accurately, according to the facts, according to the evidence. It weighs it accurately. And this is how God wants us to register everything that he says to us. He wants us to register it accurately. Take it as it is. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. That would make it a false weight and a false balance, which is an abomination to him. Are you beginning to see the importance of a just weight and a just balance? Now, weights were what were generally used to represent coins. You would put the weight of an appropriate amount of coins on one side and the equal amount of weight of coins on the other. And if they balanced out, purchase was good. But somehow, if your coins didn't add up and the balance tipped a little to the side of the weight, it meant that your coins had been shaved off. Weight was missing, and you had to add to it to equal it out before the purchase would be made. This is the way we judge just weights. You see, a just weight is one that, where its label equals what it weighs. Do you understand what I mean? It, it, what it says, in other words, matches with what it is. One who is what he says is one who is a just weight. One who says something and means it his label, his character, is who he is. It's what he is. He's not putting on a facade. He's not a false weight, you see. God says a just weight is his delight. Those who are what they speak, those who are what they preach, those who are what they declare, is a delight to God, because that is what God is. What he says is what he is. That's why he said, I am what I am. It's an eternal truth. Now a balance, according to Noah Webster, is figuratively, that is as a figure or a symbol, it's an impartial state of what? Mind. What kind of state of mind? Impartial, which means it's not divided. It's not parted. It's impartial. It's examining it as it is. A balance, figuratively as a symbol, represents impartial state of mind in deliberating, or, he says, a just estimate, that is a right estimate, of the reasons and arguments on both sides of a question which gives to each its due or appropriate weight or force of an importance. 
are you beginning to see? That's balance defined figuratively. That's how we use it in our language. And judgment is tied in with this. Judgment is defined as the act of judging. The act or process of the mind in comparing ideas. When we see two things, we compare them. We judge them. This is what judgment is. It's the act of comparing ideas that are presented to you. How do you do it? Just balance, false balance. To find their agreement or disagreement. Not every thought agrees. Some disagree. We have to recognize the good from the bad. Have discernment, have judgment. This is what Solomon prayed for. And to ascertain truth. Now, ascertain simply means to come to absolute certainty. Doesn't mean to guess. Ascertain is not guesswork. It comes from the word certain. Ascertain. You are ascertaining. You are coming to certainty about something. That's what judgment is intended to do. To bring us to absolute certainty of truth. And God's word is truth. And an example. He says, in the formation of our judgments, we should be careful to weigh and compare how many? All the facts connected with the subject. Now, this is man's most common failure. And I'll tell you this honestly. We human beings make this mistake more than any other. We come to a judgment before having weighed all the evidence that we can get. That doesn't mean that we have access to everything. But what we have access to, we should look at and weigh accurately before we come to a judgment or discernment or judgment call on anything. If we don't, we call it prejudice. We prejudge. Now, discernment is tied with judgment. And you're going to see the connection between these different terms that we use. And I'm bringing them out because there are terms that will be used. Discernment is the power or faculty of the mind by which it distinguishes. Again, comparison. One thing from another. Acuteness of judgment. That is fineness. Fine details of judgment. Power of perceiving differences of things or ideas and their relations and tendencies. The errors of youth often proceed from the want of discernment. In other words, young people make mistakes because they're not able to discern. Usually it's lack of information. It's not because they're malicious or necessarily rebellious, but a lot of it is ignorance. They don't know the facts. And so a lot of their folly is due to Want of discernment. Before we engage in an activity, step back, examine it. Before you engage in a conversation, examine it. Before you speak a word, stop and examine it. Discernment. God wants us to be practical about our religion, about what we believe. The Bible is the most practical book in the world because it changes the life. And everything we practice is a part of the life. What does it say? The just shall, what's that word? Live by faith. 
doesn't say the just shall think by faith. It says they shall live. Live is everything you do. We are living now. Live encompasses everything you are and everything you do. And we are to live by faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible is practical. He wants to teach us not only what to think, but how to think. How we are to be like him. This is how God judges. Accurately. Every thought, every word, every deed is going to be fairly weighed in the balance with God. There will be no false balance, no false weight. And God says, be as I am. So when we think about judgment, discerning between good and bad, there comes in this little idea of the bad, error. I want us to look at error's foundation, where it came from, so we can understand how this ties in with judgment. If you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the first verse, it gives us the origin or foundation of error, where it came from, where it originated from. God is telling us this story is not simply there to be fun reading. It's there to teach us a lesson. Genesis 3, verse 1, tells us now that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. It was more intelligent than any other creature that God had made. And he, that is the serpent, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What did that serpent do? He questioned, right? He asked a simple, what we would say, innocent question. But is the question innocent? Why? Why is the question not innocent? Because it leads you to question truth. It leads you to question a thus saith the Lord. Had God spoken clearly? Did he leave any doubt? No. Was there any room to question? No. But Satan was asking them to do it. And Satan still asks us today to question clear statements. Hath God said? You see, this is the root of evil. It's the foundation of error. It's where all error comes from. Beginning to question what we know is true. The moment we do that, we're on the path of error. And it's judgment that's involved. It's judgment that's involved. Romans 4 should be 22a. Sorry for the typo there. Romans chapter 4, verses 21 to 22. We're just going to look at the first part of verse 22. Speaking of Abraham and the promise God made to him, it says something about what Abraham did with that promise. It says he staggered not at the promise of God through what? Unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And then it says that according to God's promise, he was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had said. He was what kind of persuaded? Fully persuaded. 
That is faith. You see, that's what it meant when he said he did not stagger. There was nothing that could blow him over. Nothing that had caused him to waver. He was fully persuaded. He did not stagger at the promise. When God said, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offer him on the mount that I will show thee, he didn't stagger. He didn't waver. He heard the voice of God, recognized it, and obeyed it. And that involved judgment. Now notice, he was fully persuaded. This is what the Lord wants us to be. Abraham is set forth as the example, the father of the faithful. What we are to be. When we hear, thus saith the Lord, God says we are to be fully persuaded. Let nothing dissuade you from a thus saith the Lord. For that is the path of perdition. Now, I want to look at staggered for a moment because it goes back to what we've been looking at. We're going to look at the original language for just a moment. We're going to turn it into English for you. The the Greek word is the word diakrino. And it comes from two words, a preposition and a verb. It's a preposition dia, which means through in our English. And the word krino, which is where we get judge from. means to judge or discern. And it literally means to judge through something to pass through it. And we could define it as to judge through or to divide something, to divide something. To discern a difference between two things. To doubt, it is also translated. And when it relates to a person's word or testimony, it signifies that the hearer perceives or discerns a contradiction in what is said. So when it said Abraham staggered not, he did not discern a difference between what God had said previously to what he said now. There was no doubt in his mind. He did not try to divide the word of God. He believed it. He was fully persuaded. And often when we read in the Bible we things that apparently contradict, sometimes Satan is there to prompt us to doubt Did God really mean? But God does not want us to stagger. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he said here is what he said here. If there's any difficulty, it's here. It's how we're understanding it. God wants to give us a just balance and a just weight. Now, here are just a few other examples, several other examples, of how this same verb is translated. In Matthew 16, verse 3, it's translated discern. So you see it has a good sense. Not only does it have a bad sense, we're going to see that as well, but it's also used to discern, to see through something. Somebody may tell you something and you see through it, right? You judge through it. You recognize it. That's either true or a lie. You discern between it. Matthew 21, 21. It's translated doubt in a bad sense. When somebody tells you something that disagrees with you, even though it's true, but it disagrees with you, and you discern a difference based on your own weight, that's called doubt. When we weigh our own opinion on the balance, it leads to doubt. 
a false weight. James 1, 6 and 2, 4 translate it wavereth. Now that word wavereth is, comes from the word wave, waver. When somebody wavers, it acts like a wave. It's unstable. It rolls and flows according to the current. It's not established. Waves move and roll and flow. The wind affects them. The current affects them. God does not want us to waver, right? Stagger, as it were. Acts 15.9. It's translated to put difference between things. Again, contrast. When we read the Word of God and we put contrast between two statements, we're putting doubt there. We're creating doubt in our mind. God does not lie. God does not contradict himself. 1 Corinthians 4.7 is our last. It's translated, maketh to differ. Sometimes we make things to differ. We can draw contrasts, right? Between two things that are saying the same thing. Sometimes we do it to justify our own opinion. Sometimes we do it out of ignorance. God does not want us to make truth to differ. Now I want to tie this in with our last, and that is dealing with what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist. And we say, what does error have to do? What does balances have to do? Well, it has everything to do with the spirit of Antichrist, and you will see it. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses. We're going to see how that the spirit of Antichrist is tied in with discernment and judgment. Beginning in verse 22, we read, Who is a liar? Good question. Do we want to know who a liar is? Sure. The answer, he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Interesting statement. Sometimes we think about it, but realize what is being said here. Has the Bible given evidence that Jesus is the Christ? Do a search on the word Christ. See how many times it's used and who it's referred to. You might be surprised. But a liar is one who denies the obvious. The truth denies the word of God. God himself declared him to be the Christ. Jesus declared himself to be the Christ. The apostles declared him to be the Christ. A liar is one who denies what God has declared. That simple. Now here we have the specific instance of a denial of Christ. But a denial of truth is a denial of Christ. Because Christ is the truth. Any truth of the word of God that we deny is a denial of Christ. And we are a liar if we do that. No different. And we are called the spirit of Antichrist. Because we are partaking of the spirit of the devil who first called Adam and Eve to doubt. 
He continues, He is Antichrist, relating this, that denieth the Father and the Son. Now you can tie it in to the doctrine of the Trinity. You can tie it in to denial of the nature of Christ, His origin, who He is, the relationship between the Father and the Son. Statements that are so plain and clear in the Word of God. Again, you have a denial of a statement of the Word of God. It's called the Spirit of Antichrist. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. If we deny Jesus, we deny the Father. But, he says, he that acknowledgeth. Now this is used in contrast with deny. So it's the opposite. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Those that acknowledge the truth have Christ. And he that have, those that have Christ have the Father. Right? Are you seeing the tie-in? When the Bible talks about this spirit of Antichrist, it's not talking about some nebulous, ambiguous thing. It's talking about a principle. John is very clear. He's talking about a principle that has created this system that we know of Antichrist. If you look through history, you will see it is this principle, the principle that I'm sharing with you today, that created Antichrist, that created that power, that created the man of sin, it created the devil. It is this principle. That's why it's called his spirit. It's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. First or Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four. This same is used by the Apostle Paul, but he gives it a different name. He's talking about the same principle, the same system, the same power. But he uses a different word. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means. Now again, he's talking about deception. And we've been talking about deception and how it works. So Paul is saying, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the day of Jesus' return, shall not come except or until there come a what? Falling away. Now we know that term, but in the original, it's the word apostasia. We get the English word apostasy from it. Paul says, that day will not come except there come a great, now it's the apostasy, this great system of apostasy, the system of Antichrist, except it, Christ will not come until it comes. Once it comes, then you know Christ's coming is soon after. First, this apostasy must come first, and he says that man of sin to be revealed, the leader of this system, the son of perdition, or he who leads to perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that statement shocks us. We think, how can that be? How could there ever be a system that takes the place of God? How could there ever be this man that receives worship due to God? But we see it all throughout history. It is the outplaying of the working of the spirit of Antichrist. It is the outworking of this principle that I've been sharing with you 
about discernment, how we deal with the Word of God. It is this system that's following the spirit of Satan that has corrupted the minds of men and led them to worship himself. And he does it by getting them to doubt the Word of God. Doubting the Word of God. Taking the Word of men in its place. Or taking your own opinion in its place. It doesn't matter to him. Because as long as it's not God's Word, it doesn't matter. It's all rubbish. The only thing that matters in the Word of, in this universe is the Word of God. It is to us life eternal. It means everything. So I want to encourage us today, take heed. Let us consider things well. Now I know none of us are guiltless. I don't stand here guiltless of this myself. I have often been guilty of jumping to conclusions, judging the matter before I've heard it out. But the Lord has helped me to understand, begin to understand the importance of judgment, the importance of the mind he has given me, a mind that is able to comprehend, understand his will and his purpose. God has given man a mind to know. And how we use that will really determine our salvation. It's that that determines our choices we make are made by judgment. And it's by choices that we act. By actions, we form habits. And by continuing habits, we form character. And we're told in inspiration that it's by our character that our, our time and destiny is determined. Time and eternity, essentially. That what our destiny is in this time and in eternity will be. It's determined by our character. But our character is made up of habits formed by actions, which are the result of choices, which are the result of judgment, discernment. Do you see how important it is, how we think, how we reason? God wants us to be careful. He knows how dangerous a world we are in. And that's why he's given us what the Apostle Peter says, the sure word of prophecy that we would do well to take heed unto as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. So in closing, I want to ask us the question, What holds weight with you? What sways your balances? Now, I'm not asking you to answer the question. I'm asking you to examine yourself. What tips the scales with you? Be honest. Examine yourself. Do I allow my opinions to weigh the balance? Do I allow preconceived ideas to outweigh, thus saith the Lord? God wants us to know. He wants us to have a just weight, a just balance. And it's my prayer for us today 
that each one of us can learn to examine ourselves. And if we see in ourselves a false balance or a false weight, it's not lost. We're not lost. God can give us a right balance. He can restore in us a right mind, a right spirit. God wants to do it today. But he has first to help us see our need. You see, a man will never come until he sees his need of a Savior. He will never come. A drunkard will never come until he realizes he's a drunkard. A drug addict will never come for help until he realizes he's an addict. And God wants us to know that we... We have a judgment issue. And the Lord is the great physician who can heal that issue. He can give us a right mind. He can give us strength. He can give us that wisdom that he gave to Solomon. God is no respecter of persons. God is waiting for those who will pray the prayer of Solomon with the same motive, the same intent, so that they also may be able to judge between good and bad, right and wrong. If that's your desire, if you want that heart, if you want that mind, then I want to invite you to kneel together with me as we bow before the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, Father, I thank thee that thou dost love us enough to chasten us For we read that thou dost chasten those whom thou dost love. Father, we know that we are loved of thee. For thou hast chastened us day by day through thy word. Leading us to repentance. Helping us to change our minds. And Father, that is what we want today. Father, we see that our minds are not always in harmony with thy will. Sometimes our own judgment gets in the way. But we realize, we have come to see that our judgment is flawed. Our ideas are flawed. Father, we want to receive in place of our flawed ideas and opinions the pure word of truth, the faithful and sure word of one who cannot lie. Father, I pray that Thy word may be received into our hearts. May the words of Jesus be fulfilled in us today, that except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. May each of us be born again, become as a little child, one who believes, one who trusts, one who does not doubt the word spoken. May we receive such a heart today, that we might be thy believing children, children of faithful Abraham, who staggered not at thy promise. And I pray that we today, from this day forward, may stagger not at thy promises, but that we may rejoice in them. For we know that thou dost rejoice in us. Father, we bless thee, we thank thee, for hearing and answering our prayers, for giving us a new heart, and restoring in us a right mind. And I pray, Father, that 
this might be true of us each and every day. For this is my prayer. In the name of thy Son, Jesus, we ask and give thee thanks. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer 